Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 to 16, and the title is Attitude Matters. Attitude Matters. And we're looking at the first 16 verses is the, the part one of the study, and we'll look at the rest next week. Um, but it's like, have you ever been treated horribly? Like, it, it does not feel good to be treated badly, right? Like, there was a point, I, I, I promise you, there was a point in our marriage where, like, there was a six-month period years ago, but where there was a six-month period that my wife and I had the worst restaurant experiences. I don't know what it was. Every time we went out, it was just bad. And, and it was really weird because it, it was this consistent time where every time we went to a restaurant, it was just, there's something negative happened. It was crazy. And trust me, my wife and I aren't expecting a five-star experience everywhere we go. We don't go to many restaurants, but for that six-month period, it was just not good. Like, we'd wait for over an hour for the food, and every time we went out to eat at different places, there was all these things going on, and um, the waitresses and waiters were just, like, rude. It was just crazy. We got to the point where the last time we went, we looked at each other and, like, just laughed and, like, this is, what's going on? Maybe we're not meant to go out and eat at restaurants. I don't know. But you ever had a bad service at a restaurant? I mean, now I promise you, I'm not trying to pick on servers. I love them. They do, most of them do a great job. I'm just illustrating the importance of attitude. Attitude is, is everything. There, there have been places where people work, they had such good attitudes. They were so kind and friendly that I didn't care about paying a little bit more. Oh, I'll give you $10 more or whatever, because they were, their attitude was so good. Their attitude affected your attitude, and you're like, I'm happy now. <laughs> now, I realize that's part of their tactic, but it works. I mean, attitude is everything when it comes to connecting with people. Like, it's the difference between Chick-fil-A and McDonald's. Do you know what I mean? Chick-fil-A and McDonald's. Now, I've never had a worker at McDonald's say to me after I thank them, it was my pleasure. And like, I've never, I've never had that. I'm just saying. It, no McDonald's employee has ever done that to me. But the workers at Chick-fil-A, they're trained, right? They're trained to be kind and helpful and hospitable. And really, it makes all the difference. It makes you want to go there. Like, have you ever seen the line at Chick-fil-A? I think everyone kind of shares that sentiment. Attitude matters. How you treat someone is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. And the fact is, attitude is part of our witness as Christians. Our faith is not just in our minds and hearts. It's in our demeanor and character as well. And one of the things that drew me to Christ was my family members and friends who were super mean and degrading and slanderous towards me. No, of course not. They, they were loving they accepted me. They talked to me about Christianity, and they, they had a heart of love and kindness. They really wanted to talk to me and connect and let me know the truth. It, it was, that's what drew me to the Lord, like one of the things. And really, one, one of the things that drew me to Christ was my family and friends who just, in their words and their actions, they truly seemed like they cared. You know, one pastor said this about attitude. He said, words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude toward life The longer I live, the more I'm convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. So it's pretty pretty easy to have a good attitude when things are going good, right? Like, I mean, when, when there's nothing to be bothered about, we're not bothered. But it's when we go through difficulty that we're put to the test, right? It's when you're using a hammer and you miss the nail and instead you hit your finger. You know, it's when your boss, you know, blames you for something that's not even your fault. It's when a person speaks against you and puts you down. It's when your kids act like they took crazy pills, and this is day three of the insanity. You know, D.L. Moody said this. He said, attitude determines, attitudes determine our actions for good or for bad. 
Have you ever been wronged and it affects your attitude and you write an email or text you're about to call and, or text in retaliation, right? I mean, I, I haven't done that, but you guys probably have, right? No, we've all done that, right? And you're just like, you have the text. It's like a whole novel. You're like, you're so, you're waiting for the send button, you know? And uh, it's kind of like when they used to have the old phones. I, I'm showing my age, but you, you hit the number and then you're waiting for the last number to really like think before you press it or before you go like this. <laughs> my dad had one of them. Um, but you're, you're like, you're, you're just waiting and you're like, man, you're about to send that thing, but you know, you know that you shouldn't. But you're like, but I'm so, but I'm so affected by this, you know? Because in five, five minutes, you know what's going to happen? You're going to calm down, and your sense of reason will come back to you. You know? Attitudes determine our actions. And what we're going to see today is how we are to treat one another in the house of God. Uh, you remember, Paul's a spiritual leader or a spiritual father to Timothy. He's Timothy's mentor. He looks, he looks upon him as a son. In fact, he calls him his son in the faith, right? Timothy has been left in Ephesus to oversee the church that Paul established there. And while he is in Ephesus, Paul wrote to him this epistle or letter of exhortation. And in this letter, he seeks to instruct Timothy in the things of the church. For, you know, for as Paul said in verse 15, how that he has written these things in order that he might know how he ought to behave in the house of the Lord. So as we get into chapter 5, he deals, first of all, with Timothy's behavior towards elders, towards men, towards younger men, elder women, and the younger women. And so again, chapter 5 is really a summary of how to treat all groups within the local church. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the scripture. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for this, again, this moment and this opportunity. We get to get into your word. We pray that you'd speak to us as a church body, but also individually for what we're going, what we're facing, what we're going through in this life, what we're facing right now, presently. And uh, just pray that you minister to our hearts like you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, we see the older members. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5 says, 1 Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. So Paul really is admonishing young Timothy to minister to various kinds of people, you know, and do not show partiality or favoritism to anyone. He says that in verse 21, actually. But James 2.9, James 2.9 says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted as transgressors. Proverbs 24:23 says, partiality in judging is not good. So don't save the best seats in the house for those with more money, basically. You know, like, don't treat those better who could possibly do something for you. Ooh, I'm going to be extra nice to this person because there's something I can get out of it. Right? Treat everyone with the love of Jesus. I mean, simply put. And Paul told Timothy not to let older people despise Timothy's youth and at the same time, Timothy was urged to not ignore the older people in the congregation because they were older. Timothy was really young. He says, don't rebuke an elder, but treat him as a father. So Paul exhorted him to love and serve all people regardless of their age. You know, the church is a family, so treat the older members like a mother and father and the younger people like your brothers and sisters. It's like my wife told me when she was first saved there was a time where her closest friends in the church, they were all way older than her, like way older than her. Like she was like 19. She had friends that were like 38 and 39. She was super young when she started going to CCLAX on the West Coast, and there were not tons of people her age there. But 
it wasn't about connecting with only her specific age. It was about the community of Christ connecting because of him. Now, a college and career ministry did eventually start for her age and all that, you know, but really we're connected through true fellowship in the Lord. So in the context of the first two verses, it's about correction. You know, there is a certain, like, tactful, loving way to call attention to a a person's um, sins or mistakes. Don't correct someone with a heart of anger because it will produce strife and end up creating barriers between you and the other believer. You ever confront someone when you, it was just, you knew it was too soon to confront them. You know, like, you needed to calm down first and pray, but you didn't. I would just, I would just say something we all know that don't confront anyone in the heat of the moment. <laughs> you know, those times where you have your, your paragraph formed in your mind and you're really going to give it to that person. And you win, in your mind, you win. You know, it's like a competition. Usually that's the time to not confront, um, but just to seek the Lord to cool down first. Uh, but the point is, there is a way to treat people. You know, and the godly way is the right way. Attitude matters. And Paul goes on in verse 3, talking about the older widows now. In verse 3, he says, Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show uh, piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of the household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Verse 9, he says, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Verse 10, Well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So from the beginning of the early church, the church had a concern for older widows. You can find that in Acts uh, chapter 6 and chapter 9. In Deuteronomy, God had given special legislation to care for the widows, God's special care for the widows is a theme in Scripture. It's in Deuteronomy, it's in Psalms, it's in Malachi. Yet the church should be careful not to waste resources on those who are not in need either. And this needs to be said, you know, because it's it's true. Like, there are those who are more than capable of providing for themselves, yet they milk the church for resources so they don't have to do anything. And it reminds me of a story of Pastor Chuck Smith, you know, he told one time. uh, He said, on Sunday mornings there was a homeless man. Uh, who stood on the corner right before the entrance of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, where Chuck pastored, and he begged, you know, this guy begged for money. And, of course, the Christians were giving, they were giving him tons of money, right? Which is great. They were helping him out. So when Pastor Chuck, you know, saw this guy, he started to ask for money regularly. Uh, He had the guy brought, you know, to talk to him in the church, and Chuck actually offered him a janitorial job, paying pretty good, like an hourly wage, right? Like, hey, you know, you need help? I want to help you out? Like, I'll, I'll give you a job. You can clean up around the grounds, and we'll pay you regularly. And um, you, the guy was mentally capable and did not have any physical ailments. The guy outright refused rudely because he made more money begging, and he didn't have to work a regular job. The homeless guy made it clear that he didn't want to work. He didn't want his charity. He didn't want help. He just wanted to mooch off the church people. 
The guy was not willing to work. So the next Sunday at church, you know, Pastor Chuck told the story from the pulpit about this guy, who they all knew about because they saw him as they drove into the parking lot and the corner, but he refused. He said he refuses to get, I offered him a job, a good paying job, but he refuses. He doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to do anything. And he said to the congregation, he said, I offered him a job to work for this money. He refused, and he was not nice or thankful about it. And he went on to tell them not to give him your money as you pull into the church because he's capable of working. He just didn't want to. And so uh, the Bible says if you want to eat, you must work. You know, and, and working it wasn't because of the curse. For Adam worked, they worked tending the garden, taking care of the animals before the sin entered the picture. But we're all called to work to eat, right? Whether you stay at home, you're a stay-at-home mom, your jobs are the super hardest. You guys are the hardest workers. Um, or work as a janitor, or an office job, or fast food. But in the context, it is widows, and Paul actually listed qualifications a widow must meet if she's to be supported by the church. And this is a good practical and biblical action to take here. In verse 5 and verse 8, it says, If a widow had relatives, they were to care for her, so the church could use its resources for those in need. Like if her own children were dead, then her grandchildren would accept the responsibility. And back in this day, they didn't have pensions or social security or institutions that helped widows. It was up to the family and the church, family and the church. And of course, benefits today don't relieve families from having loving obligations either. But Paul says something pretty sobering in verse 8, that if a relative is unwilling to help support their loved one in need, they are worse than an unbeliever. (laughs) That's like, wow. If a believer doesn't take care of one of their own family members, they have denied the faith according to Paul. Now, I also realize there are different situations and circumstances and exceptions. Some people won't receive the offer or get mad or get insulted. You know, there's different, there are exceptions for many situations. But the Bible tells us to honor our mother and father. God wants us to care for the elderly, widows, and orphans. And the church could not care for all the widows in the city, but it should care for the believers who are part of the fellowship. And that's the thing. Galatians 6.10 says, do good unto all, especially those of the household of faith. And you think, well, isn't that partiality? No, that's taking care of the family, the family of God. The church is called to help the godly widow. And we see that in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 and 37. It gives us an example of what a godly widow is. Luke 2, 36 and 37 says, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And so in my experience, I've seen godly widows who are such prayer warriors, and they had time to drop off meals, visit those who need spiritual guidance. They were used greatly for God because it was just them and the Lord. Like I've seen widows do some amazing and godly things to help those in the body of Christ. I love that. It's about the heart, and the beauty of a widow who serves God is a huge blessing to the body of Christ. Widows often have time on their hands to minister to others who are in need. And in verse 9, it says this phrase, it says, taken unto the number. It means put on a list, to be put on a list. The early church actually had a list of widows who ministered in the church in various ways. And those widows back in the day were often on the church payroll, and they would just minister all the time because they were free to minister all the time. It's like they would pray for people all the time 
prayer, prayer is such a necessity generally. So when widows can actually spend their whole time praying for needs, how awesome and powerful is that? We need more prayer warriors, right? Prayer is powerful. And even in Acts 9, we see a group of ministering widows. And older widows can be amazingly used by the Lord. And, and through the years, I've seen older people doubt that God wants to use them because of their age. I'm just, I'm too old to be used now. You know, I, I'm past my prime. There's nothing left for me to do for the Lord. But that's not right. Like, I believe that God wants to use older people because of their age. To pour into those younger, younger in the faith. To show what it looks like to keep the faith and continue on in the things of the Lord after such a long time. That's a testimony. That's in itself a testimony. To be consistently faithful over time is an earmark of spiritual maturity. It's about, you know, as someone said, it's about long obedience in the same direction. Those who are older and still walking with God are a shining example of what it looks like to keep serving God consistently. So Paul writes this, he says, a good marriage record. So this makes it clear that widows had, had a good and faithful marriage while their husbands were alive. Verse 10 says, a witness of good works. So if a person is faithfully seeking God, their light will shine and others will see it and glorify God. And it says, brought up children is a reference to abandoned children that are rescued and raised to know the Lord. Hospitality was a good witness for the Lord as well. It was not beneath the widow to serve others by washing feet. And it says, relieved and afflicted. It could cover many kinds of ministry to the needy, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, encouraging the sorrowful. And so many pastors give thanks to God for those widows who minister to those in the church. These widows Paul is writing about, they were cared for by the church, but they also cared for those in the church who were in need. So now we look at the younger widows in verse 11 to 16. Verse 11 to 16, which says, But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. So younger widows were women who were under 60 years old, but it's clear Paul was really writing about much younger widows than that. It, was, it wasn't likely that a 59-year-old would bear children, you know, if she married. So Paul forbade Timothy to enroll the younger widows and put them under the care of the church. And the reason for refusing him is in verse 11 to 14. So there was an agreement within the church here that the widows would remain widows in order to serve the Lord full time. But there's another possible interpretation. These widows, these younger widows, if supported by the church, would have the opportunity to live it up and find other husbands who were unbelievers. So by marrying unbelievers, they would be casting off their first faith. I agree with the first interpretation, though. Paul makes it clear the younger widows would have time on their hands to get into sinful activities. They would get into the habit of being idle rather than useful for God. They would have time to be busybodies and gossip. There is a definite connection between idleness and sin. Right? Paul had encouraged against using the charity ministry of the church to encourage people to be idle. 
called like we call it enabling people today, right? Yes, the church should assist those who really need help. Of course, that's what we're here for. That's one of the main reasons. But it must not subsidize sin. The church should not subsidize sin. And, I, and as a pastor, I've seen, I've had to make many decisions regarding these instances, and it was not easy. At my last church, we were on a busy street. We had a lot of homeless people coming in and out, going down and knocking on the door, asking for things. And there were many instances of us giving food to the needy families, but there were also instances of those who appeared to be in need but were actually not. They were just taking advantage and trying to get free stuff. There was, there was one guy that was really rude, cussed us out, you know, did, smoked outside of the church, you know, and he, he stood there. And, and one time, like, we had to watch this guy because he was very rude if you didn't give him money. And he, was, he, would, he would sit in his wheelchair right outside the uh, church. And he said, Vietnam vet, he had, like, a thing and everything. And, and so one time, one of, one of us followed him, and so he, he rolled to the, to, the, to the bus, stood up, put his, like, he could walk. He even had, like, so basically I had to call the cops sometimes because he was so, uh, he got so violent. And he rolled his wheelchair into my shin. And I was like, what? And I was crazy. And so the cop was like, oh, yeah, we know him. He, he, had, he makes the circuit. He makes the rounds. He can walk. Um, he's, he's, a lot of, he's a lot of trouble. He's not homeless. He has, a, he has actually an apartment. And it was just, but he was taking advantage. He didn't, he didn't want to work. And so we have to discern. It's kind of like when you see someone in need out there in the world, I think, I think a good practice to do is to pray and go, Lord, you want me to give them money? Lord, you want me to buy them a meal? Lord, you want me to just pray for them? Do you want me to just say Jesus loves them? Or do you not want me to say anything? Give me discernment. You know, I think that's the best thing to do because each situation is different. But these younger widows would try to take advantage to try to get free stuff and just mooch off the church. So, so we see the requirements for younger widows in the last couple verses. So Paul had written about the negative things about young widows. Now he writes about the positive things he wanted young widows to do to be approved by the church. He wanted the younger widows to get married and have families. Well, while not every single person is supposed to get married, marriage is natural for those who have been married before. So it's kind of like, why remain lonely in widowhood if there's another opportunity to have a husband and a family? But let me tag it with this, 1 Corinthians 7.39. All of this had to be done in and of the Lord. It's about God's will. It's about his leading, obviously. And Genesis 1.28, the mandate to our first parents were, be fruitful and multiply. Most families in the South, I think they get this. Like, most families, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, wow, I was shocked when we moved here. We're like, every family has at least four kids. I'm like, wow, look at all these kids. In Southern California, we had one kid you know, and barely made it. You know, it's crazy. Probably because it was so expensive. But the normal result of marriage is a family. And some say, well, I don't have, you know, I don't want to have kids because of the craziness of our world today. Well, if you do some history research, explore how horrible it was in Paul's day in the first century. It was bad. It's still bad. But God is good. and He's still good. So if parents do not have children and teach them to live for God, who will? It says guide the house means rule the house. So marriage is a partnership, but at the same time, the husband and the wife have divine giftings from God, and they are different giftings, and that is a good thing. And so the word occasion is a military term that means a base of operations. And the enemy would love to tear apart the family's home, wife's home, home life, and make her feel inadequate or like a failure. Sure, some wives and moms work outside the home, that's fine, but still, it must not destroy the order of the home. 
how, how Christian wives and mothers manage their homes can be a testimony to those outside the church. A mother's ministry is the home. It's so, it's so incredibly important and can be such a great witness for the Lord. And that's what I would say. Moms, your ministry at home is essential and it's a blessing. Yes, it's tough, you know, but you have the Lord and you get to let your kids know about the Lord, which is amazing. And so Paul basically summarizes the principle of each family member caring for its own members. And we must honor parents and grandparents and seek to provide for them if they have need. And sure, not every Christian family member can take care of another family member. Each family member must decide what God's will is in the matter. And these decisions are not easy. But the important thing is that believers show love and concern and do all they can to help each other. Because attitude matters. You know, what we say matters. Read James 3. How we treat each other matters. I just want to leave you with some scripture references concerning our attitude as believers and how to treat one another. And the first is Leviticus 19.18. says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I am the Lord. Proverbs 31.26 says of wives, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever lends to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Luke 6.38, Jesus says, But love your enemies and do good and land expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons in the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Ephesians 4.32 be kind and compassionate towards one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Colossians three twelve and 13 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And lastly, 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9. 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. There are many more verses that talk about how to treat one another, about our attitude, because to God, attitude matters. How we treat one another matters. Ask God to fill you. I, would ask, I want to ask God to fill me with his love so as to share it to those who desperately need it, with tact, with kindness, with his heart. Not our own attitude, not our own heart, but with his heart. Seeing people as lost sinners needing to be saved. And you're not going to argue people into the kingdom. You're not going to yell them into the kingdom. I won that debate. Yeah, but you lost a soul. And so love them into the kingdom. That's what lures them in. When you say hi to someone and show that you actually care, you're like, something's different about them. It doesn't just seem like Southern hospitality. It seems like they really care. Like it seems like they really want to know what's different about them, you know? And so we get to portray and reflect the attitude 
and the love that Jesus had to those around us. And so what a great privilege. What, what a great opportunity. And sometimes it's difficult. That's why we pray through it and say, Lord, I do not have the right attitude right now. Change my heart. Alter my understanding. Help me to see people as lost souls needing to be saved. They were beautifully and wonderfully made just like me. I don't want to see them any other way. And so attitude matters. And we'll look at the second part of that um, next Sunday, guys.